0: はい、皆さんこんにちは。お元気あのしてという中部地方今月 ですが、え、6 え、聞いまたえ、そう、アプリ 3月には面白いゲストと日程調整をしているところなので Good afternoon everyone Hope everyone's having a good weekend uh, Host of the podcast, Elliot Conti not sure how about how things are going where you are, but the coronavirus has gotten considerably more serious since the last episode two weeks ago. Japan currently has nine hundred confirmed cases, uh, which is third behind China and South Korea, and the threat of the epidemic is really starting to affect daily life. Uh, businesses are closed, events are being cancelled, even Hokkaido, the northernmost island declared a state of emergency yesterday and warned people to not leave their houses over the weekend. I have no intentions of fear-mongering, but please do your due diligence and be safe when traveling and in crowds. Anyway, today's episode is entirely experimental, as I do not have a guest to introduce. Rather, I am taking this opportunity to share with everyone a feature article I wrote for the management magazine Progress here in Japan. The magazine itself is published monthly by an economic organization known as the Central Japan Industries Association. And my article, entitled Foreign Employment as a Means Toward Japanese Corporate Problem Solving, was featured in the February edition, published on the first of this month. The article is not available digitally nor in English, so I took it upon myself to translate the original text into English for today's podcast. Uh, While there are certain sections omitted, I feel like I have covered the crux of the argument in the recording. Two things to keep in mind when listening. Uh, First, the article was written for a Japanese audience specifically for Japanese industry, as a way to identify current problems and offer solutions to foreign employment in Japan. Second, I am not a voice actor, so the reading of the article itself might seem a bit rough to those used to listening to audiobooks and whatnot. Uh, Please forgive me if the production quality and clarity don't match your expectations. Either way, Uh, Think of the article as a glimpse into the state of immigration in Japan today, which, because it is strikingly strikingly different from the scenarios in the United States and Europe, it may provide an interesting case for comparison or a new perspective on how you view view foreign laborers. The original Japanese version uh, takes about 27 minutes to read, and the English starts after that, so feel free to skip forward if you'd like. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, As I mentioned, it is entirely an experiment, so I would love any feedback you can offer. Also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe or register to the podcast. Feel free to spread the word to family and friends, or anyone interested in Japan. Uh, I'm also working out schedules with some exciting new guests for March, so stay tuned for that. Stay safe, and have a great weekend. 外国人材第背景。同年 86万人て前年に比へ 529 percent減ってきた2020年 2月現在人材不足倒産社会保障制度の崩壊国力の低下や 人口人口減少、特に注目されてきたのは 施行から約から約10 ヶ月かつ 34万 34万5000。ただし 初めの必要留学生論じる目的を掲げてそして超外国人材に目を向けようとする企業は、応募と増えるが現実技術的第日本で就労する在留飲食店を 入国管理局によると2019年 管理 146万人強てあり過去 よると 3分の 2を占める EU 30万8000 人人数が傾向か強いことその中て短期的な労働力にやや偏っていたことか明らかてあるすなわち専門的な仕事を行っている外国人労働者は全体のすなわち 20% 80 percentの外国人労働者は単純労働とみなされる業務に従事しておりそのうち半分くらいか 技能実習生もしくはこのしかし年々人口が現在読者は 4400万人 にさらに 2060年 極めて無論現は様々その 1。この流術もっと熟れた人的その残念数回改正されてきたが、外国人を安く雇えるっていうイメージは今でも根強い。ただし、労働基準法は国籍を問わないので、外国人に対して日本人社員と同等以上の条件で雇用することが雇い主の義務である。何より安い労働力っていう消極的な姿勢から。日本人にその外国人最新やっいち早く高度その 4 終身小池どの人でも快適いずれも。ただし 5G していく。その中で東アジアこうしたスキルを呼ひ完成にかけて外国人材の方か優れているケースか多いかつ日本人より海外に行くことに対する抵抗感か少ないのてある日本人にない能力を持っている外国人材は日本企業の新たな競争力に大いに貢献てきると思われる今このスキルと次の活用数々の雇用さ中東業務内容が導き出され、その延長線上に入社後のキャリアパスが設計される。日本人の若者よりも外国人が会社における役割、キャリアに対して強い意識を持っている傾向がある。それは調査研究にも裏付けられており、外国人とりわけ留学生が就職先企業を選ぶ際に将来性を外国人もっとも重視原則 2 社内え、効率原則根付い 長期的に活用するため、原則1と原則2を踏まえつつ、誠実に接し、変更が所持る前に十分に説明し納得してもらうことが大切だ。活用 Foreign employment as a means toward Japanese corporate problem solving. Section 1 Background For the past decade, the Japanese government and press have warned of the various problems set to spring forth from the inevitable shrinking of the Japanese labor force. Symbolically, 2019 closed the decade of population decline, posting historically low birth rate statistics, with the Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare revealing the number of total domestic births at just around 860,000, down 5.2% from the previous year. Presently, in February 2020, not a day goes by without the murmur of companies going bankrupt due to a lack of labor, the eventual collapse of the Japanese pension system, and the steady contraction of Japan's role in international politics. Indeed, The specter of the aging population and declining birth rate looms large. It is well known that the Japanese government put forth a variety of initiatives, starting with the reform on the Japanese work style, in an effort to mitigate these coming threats to society. Among them, the embrace of foreign workers is one of the most controversial. Despite the Abe administration's staunch rhetorical rejection of immigration, it established the Specified Skilled Worker Visa, in April of 2019, which aims to provide semi-skilled foreign labor to the industries in which the labor shortage is said to be the most severe. Ten months since its inception, the new visa has hardly bore fruit. That is to say, only 1,351 are yet to receive it as of November 2019. And the government seeks to issue a total of merely 345,000 of these visas within the next five years. However, specified skilled worker remains symbolically important, as the social discourse concerning foreign workers and immigration in Japan has effectively exploded in the last year and a half. From the growing importance of Japanese language education to pitfalls in policy measures to date, the media is currently picking apart the pros and cons of immigration in granular detail. This article has three main objectives. First, to provide an overview of the Japanese immigration system and various visas currently available for foreign workers. Second, to shed light on the common mistakes Japanese companies make when employing foreigners and the different ways they can avoid them. And lastly, to delineate why it is necessary for Japanese companies to begin actively recruiting high-skilled international human resources. It bears repeating that in Japan which is currently regarded as the most extreme case of an aging population combined with a low birth rate, the labor shortage in small and medium-sized enterprises is expected to become more severe over time. Conversely, most Japanese companies still prescribe to the idea that employing foreigners is an arduous, obstacle-ridden pursuit. As the labor shortage worsens over time, more Japanese companies will naturally look to foreigners as a way to fill openings. Unfortunately, without considerable revision to a variety of corporate practices, it is difficult to imagine a scenario in which Japanese companies actually succeed in skillfully utilizing international talent. As such, this article seeks not only to identify potential problems for human resource departments to avoid, but to demonstrate a meaningful and realistic vision for companies to tie foreign employment to future business growth. Now, outside of the following section, which outlines the Japanese work visa system, please understand that this article focuses on high-skilled, so-called white-collar foreign workers as its subject. Section 2. The Current State of Foreign Workers and the Residence Status System. There is a tendency for Japanese society to look at foreign workers as a monolith. Simply put, Foreign workers are defined as a foreigner employed in any capacity at a Japanese organization, an umbrella term including, but not limited to, all of the following. An international trainee working on the factory floor. An international student working part-time at a restaurant. A foreigner holding a high-skilled work visa employed in a technical or office position. I myself currently fall into this category a descendant of a Zainichi Korean running a restaurant, and so on and so forth. This is all just to say that the 1.5 million foreign workers in Japan are by no means static and homogeneous, but that the term rather encapsulates a range of residents with diverse cultural backgrounds in a wide variety of positions. In order to accurately understand the Japanese immigration system, it is necessary to start by explaining the resident status system, A residence status, which is most often described colloquially as one's visa, is granted to all foreign workers who stay in Japan legally. The work opportunities available to a given foreigner depend entirely upon the residence status he or she holds. The 29 different residence statuses currently available under Japanese immigration law can be divided into four main categories when viewed through the lens of employment, which I will now review one by one. The first category are those residence statuses under which employment is prohibited. In general, this category is comprised of short-term residents like tourists, students, and those visiting relatives. However, by applying for permission to engage in activities other than those granted under the current residence status, even those who fall into this category can gain access to part-time work opportunities. Indeed, One of the dirty little secrets about foreign labor in Japan is that this loophole is grossly exploited to the extent that 20% of foreign workers are actually holding a visa which nominally prohibits employment. The second category are blue-collar factory workers and unskilled laborers holding the technical intern trainee visa. Started in 1993 with the so-called purpose of providing training, technical skills, and technological experience, For young workers from developing economies, the technical intern training program has provided Japanese companies a means of hiring low-skilled foreign workers at a premium for periods of three to five years. The program has been scrutinized increasingly by the United Nations and other international bodies for labor rights violations, occupational health and safety issues, and has recently become the subject of intense domestic criticism as well. Despite the long-term debate over the program's ethical legitimacy, technical intern trainees currently make up 21% of Japan's foreign worker population, standing at just over 300,000 in the summer of 2019. The 17 visas in Category 3 are reserved for skilled positions, with each visa dictating the specific field within which the holder must be employed. This category runs the gamut ranging from executive and management positions to the most general work visa, known as a specialist in the humanities and international services. It is worth noting that this category makes up merely 19% of of Japan's foreign workforce, and its share of the total is slowly declining due to the recent influx of lower-skilled workers in the manufacturing and service sectors. The final category, which represents long-term residents, places no restrictions on employment. This category, which consists of permanent and long-term residents as well as spousal visas, is distinct from the previous three in that it is relation-based rather than activities-based. This category, which makes up 30%, 34% of all foreign workers in Japan, has historical antecedents and is comprised mostly of those who are known as Zainichi Koreans and Nikkei Brazilians. While a detailed explanation of the plight of these two ethnic minorities lies beyond the scope of this article, the majority remain in low-skilled, low-wage positions. The former are located heavily in the Kansai region's manufacturing and restaurant industries, while the latter, Nikkei Brazilians, mostly populate factories in the manufacturing belt of central Japan. All of this is to say that to date, foreign labor has been viewed mainly as a means of procuring unskilled and or low-skilled labor to fill positions that native Japanese avoid, the dirty, dangerous, and demanding jobs. As I mentioned previously, skilled workers currently making up only 20% of the foreign workforce, with the remaining 80% concentrating in comparatively menial work, half of which are staying on non-renewable renewable temporary visas This approach was extremely advantage advantageous for Japanese industry when the economy was booming and workers were abundant but its efficacy is crumbling under the pressure of today's steadily worsening labor shortage Given these circumstances it stands to reason that many Japanese companies are ill-equipped to employ and efficiently manage high-skilled international talent as they have spent the last 30 years appointing the majority of foreign workers to blue-collar positions Indeed, even in the face of an unprecedented labor shortage, many companies and executives still balk at the prospect of hiring foreigners into technical or office positions, using organizational insufficiencies and unpreparedness uh, as their rationale. Further, last year's change to the immigration law was restricted only to low-skilled positions, effectively opening no new doors for skilled foreigners to enter and work in Japan. Keeping these inconsistencies in mind, the next section dissects the most common reasons given by Japanese companies for avoiding skilled foreigners, and provides counter-arguments to demonstrate how such high-value human resources could hold the key for sustainable growth in Japan. Section 3. Major Problems Associated with Hiring Skilled Foreigners and the Plight of Corporate Japan. It goes without saying that Japan's demographic crisis presents no simple solutions. However, as an American, where the population continues to increase steadily, it seems to me that the Japanese business world does not yet fully appreciate the severity of the impending crisis. By 2030, the labor shortage is predicted to reach 6.4 million, which represents 10% of the country's entire workforce in 2019. On top of the large-scale retirement of the baby boomer generation, which began in earnest in 2019, the total population of Japan is on course to shrink from its current 126 million to below 100 million by 2053. As the general manager of an NPO that assists in the employment of international students in central Japan, I have searched for a satisfying answer to the following paradox. That is... Why do many Japanese companies, in spite of the formidable hardships that lie ahead, continue to place foreign workers in the perpetual working class? Let's examine some of the fallacies supporting this position. Fallacy number one. Currently, blue-collar workers are in short supply, and there is no need for high-skilled employees. This reasoning is fundamentally flawed for two reasons. First... It merely seeks to perpetuate the status quo. A company that rejects a highly skilled applicant because its only openings are on the factory floor fails to recognize colossal shifts coming to many global markets, while simultaneously underestimating the effects of the the labor shortage in the future. In the not-too-distant future, internal and external exigencies will pressure Japanese companies Not to maintain their current business model, but to actively and appropriately update it, a task that will not be accomplished no matter how many factory factory workers one hires. The second point on which this rationale falls short is that it ignores the fact that highly trained, highly educated employees are a company's source of innovation and operational improvement, increasingly important in the progressively uncertain business world. Fallacy number two, foreigners are nothing more than cheap labor. This prejudice was born alongside the technical intern trainee program and still exists to a certain extent today. Pervasive abuse of the program led many companies, especially manufacturers, to believe that the only benefit of hiring foreigners is that they could pay them less than Japanese employees. Needless to say, this violates Japanese labor law which requires companies to provide wages and conditions equal to or greater than Japanese employees of equal status. But a surprising number of Japanese companies would rather exploit a loophole than properly reward foreign workers for their dedication and hard work. Fallacy number three, general apprehension about the visa application process. The necessity for a work visa is the most significant difference when hiring someone who is not Japanese. As I discussed in the first half of this article, foreigners' employment possibilities are determined by their resident status, which can only be acquired by properly applying to Japanese immigration. While it may seem daunting to small companies attempting to hire a foreign employee for their first time, viewed objectively, it is a minor inconvenience and certainly does not warrant turning a blind eye to the wealth of international talent in Japanese universities. For a company to make this straw man is to admit their own incompetence and apathy. Fallacy number four. Foreigners change jobs too frequently. Most executives I meet point out that foreign workers do not believe in lifetime employment, one of the pillars of Japanese corporate culture. In a sense, they have a point. Foreigners, specifically those from North America and Europe, come from societies in which changing jobs is indeed a common means of improving one's position. But this also ignores the glaring fact that lifetime employment has been crumbling in Japan since the 2008 financial crisis, and even Mr. Akio Toyoda, president of Toyota Motors, has spoken out on the need to shift away from lifetime employment and update Japan's hiring norms. There is no doubt that younger generations, regardless of nationality, will no longer put the company before themselves the same way their forebears did, and companies clinging to a myth of lifetime employment will effectively be left behind. Fallacy number five. Foreigners will not be able to play an active role in our company. This notion, which is deeply related to the first and third fallacies listed, is rooted in simple short-sightedness, As I have mentioned numerous times already, the business environment enveloping Japanese companies is undergoing a monumental transition, starting internally with the shrinking population to the economic development of Southeast and Southern Asia, to the overwhelming pace of technological innovation. Within these changes, the relative decline of the Japanese economy is not a matter of if, but when. When considering the possible outcomes for Japan in the 21st century, it seems much more plausible to look outward to regional markets, which continue to grow at an alarming rate. Naturally, this is easier said than done, and Japanese SMEs will be tasked with cultivating the various competencies required to compete internationally. Linguistic ability, knowledge of foreign markets and systems, understanding of global business practices, Establishing networks and partnerships in foreign companies in foreign countries are all skill sets most commonly observed in international students and skilled foreign workers, not native Japanese. Rather than viewing foreigners as mere replacements for Japanese, companies and executives need to recognize the possibilities for growth that lie therein, which come into focus when one adjusts, adjusts the horizon to 20, 30 years ahead. Indeed, foreigners will have a significant role to play in Japanese business. Conclusion Basic Principles for Hiring Foreigners In the past two years alone, I have consulted over 100 Japanese companies through the process of recruiting, hiring, and managing skilled foreigners. Within that, I have directly observed both the highs and lows of Japanese companies' attempts to diversify the workforce. To conclude, I will introduce three basic principles I use to guide my clients. While far from comprehensive, they represent a fundamental starting point for any Japanese company that seeks to successively internationalize the workplace. However, I warn listeners abroad not to expect anything too enlightening. I am keenly aware that these principles go without saying in most international companies, and I apologize if a Western audience finds them underwhelming. It is more important, perhaps, To interpret this as a freeze frame of the state of foreign employment in Japan in early 2020, that even after the boom and bust of the 20th century, most Japanese companies are still uncomfortable with the idea of working side-by-side with people unlike them. Principle 1. Define clear objectives for hiring foreigners. Propped up by the remains of the Japanese lifetime employment system is a culture of raising generalists in Japanese companies. Contrary to their Western counterparts, which tend to hire based on speciality, Japanese companies prefer to raise all-arounders, employers, employees who can easily shift through various departments and possess a broad understanding of operations as a whole. The natural ambiguity of this human resources philosophy runs into problems, however when recruiting foreigners, who expect clearly defined roles and expectations coupled with well-structured, ambitious career paths. This trend is indeed supported by data. Studies show that international students value future prospects most when selecting a Japanese employer, while not being able to work in their desired position ranks second only to communication difficulties as their largest source of doubt. The Japanese companies that succeed in employing and retaining skilled foreigners universally take a long-term approach, connecting their investment to future growth without dwelling on temporary demands. Principle 2. Communicationism. By far the greatest fear of young foreign professionals in Japan is the language barrier. Navigating the complexity and rigid structure of the Japanese business world can indeed be extremely stressful at times, and small missteps can send new hires down a path of loneliness and frustration. These worries, often magnified by the uncertainty of a foreign environment and one's general need for acceptance, can be mitigated, however, with what I refer to as communicationism. This is the simple idea that Japanese colleagues, especially those in the same section or department, Should make their best effort to maintain positive verbal communication with recently hired foreigners for at least the first year. Communicationism, while unnecessary in a monoculture, proves to be extremely valuable in diverse environments. Indeed, it not only increases opportunities for foreign employees to practice their Japanese, but also reduces the likelihood of them becoming isolated while fostering intercultural competency among the Japanese staff at the same time. While it is not a cure-all, communicationism goes a long way toward illuminating the hidden obstacles plaguing multicultural workplaces. Principle 3. Keep your promises. It seems laughable to even point this out, but I have heard far too many foreign workers say it wasn't supposed to be like this. It is common for Japanese companies to leverage ambiguity to their advantage, but it can become a heated point of contention when the target is a foreigner. For example, most Japanese, especially those working in smaller companies, will accept sudden changes in job responsibilities, hours, and even wages as a simple fact of life. This is indeed the ethos of Japanese lifetime employment. Foreign employees, on the other hand, tend to interpret such shifts as signs of distrust, disrespect, or even betrayal, if it is not accompanied by a convincing explanation. Unlike their Japanese colleagues, foreigners are much less prone to stay silent and comply, and do not last long in corporate environments they find restricting or untrustworthy. It is just a promise, but a promise nonetheless. mm